Welcome back to What Do You Want to Watch the Show, hosted by myself, Nathan English, and David Dirks. And this week we're talking about a movie that David and I actually saw in theaters together, which I was <clears> thinking about it. Um, is this the first movie we've seen in theaters since The Northman, which was like April, March or April of last year? Is this the first time we've seen a movie in theaters since then? I think so. I was like trying to think about what it'd be, but I think it, Northman's correct. Yeah. Yeah. And which Crazy. is also another, another great experience. Uh, spoiler alert, kind of both of us really liked guardians of the galaxy three. That's what we're going to be talking about today. The end to James Gunn's MCU trilogy, his final film in the MCU as he departs to head up DC movies. Um, and it was kind of an emotional end. Uh, Dave and I were going to talk about, we're going to give some spoiler-free conversations, talk about the wider MCU as a whole, and then we are going to get into some spoiler conversations about plot specifics. We will give you a heads up so you can turn off the podcast at that time if you have not seen this yet. Before we even start, though, highly, highly recommend people go see this movie, and we will get into why. All right, David. Uh, it's no secret that the the MCU has been in a little bit of a flux. I think both of us were were pretty disappointed by the last outing um, in in Ant Man and the Wasp: Quantumania prior to to this film, obviously, but. I don't know. I, I want to ask, is that because we're just older and we're so used to this content now that it doesn't really blow us away? Or do you think that the quality of films has actually dipped? Uh, I think the quality's dipped a little bit. And I think we've even seen that in like the VFXers and designers coming out saying like they don't have as much time. They, uh, the projects are so big that there's not enough hands. They're not getting enough funding. Like, so I think we're seeing a, a actual like, you know, are these films being pumped out too fast? Because now these VF, VFXers aren't having enough time to work on them. And, you know, so I think there is um, some truth in saying that the, the quality might have dropped. Not not even just because the quality's bad. It's just like even let's look at the new, uh, the second Black Panther, for example. Ryan Coogler in the first one you could see was like, Okay, that's all Ryan Coogler. It felt like there was very little like Marvel oversight with that. Like he was able to kind of make the movie he wanted. But as we saw in the second mm -hmm. one, it was like most of it was Ryan Coogler. And then you saw like a Marvel step in of like, you need to introduce these two or three characters for our shows. And like, so, and that, that's kind of where it throws you off of like, you can tell where that this like overhead insight is like forcing him to do stuff maybe that he wouldn't not normally do. So I think other thing like that right. is like, yeah, it's just a lot. And, um, these movies are getting so big that they literally don't have the funding or the hands to make them maybe as good as they could be. I think, I think you, you really hit it there when you talked about um, kind of this idea that the movies aren't in necessarily service to themselves, but are in service of the wider MCU as a whole. And what I mean by that is that each film feels like in the MCU recently, it feels like they're all just setting up next films. Right? They're not trying to tell a complete story. They're just trying to get you to know a couple of things about some certain characters because they're going to be important later on. This movie and I think No Way Home are the two films that have been released since Endgame that really, to me, feel like we just want to tell this character story or we just want to tell this story. Guardians of the Galaxy mm -hmm. 3 is by far, in a way, an end capper of a trilogy I think superior to any other trilogy we've had in the MCU and superhero films as a whole could be a debate even, but it's a movie that is focused on wrapping up storylines for its specific characters, not telling you what's going to happen in the future, not telling you, you know, Hey, let's introduce this character. There are new introductions. There's new characters in this film, but it's not because in four films in an Avengers movie, that person's going to be important. It's because they're helping tell the story. And I think that's what's different. And I think that's why I enjoyed this film so much more than I have recent MCU outings. Yeah. Well, it's funny is you can kind of tell that I think we even mentioned this after the movie 
you could tell that James Gunn didn't necessarily like how Gamora was handled because it's kind of like an obscure reference in his movie of like, why isn't this the Gamora that Chris, not Chris Pratt. Well, I mean, technically it is, but star Lord knows that these people know, you know, and like, uh, what else is like, he wouldn't have had, you know, star Lord hit Thanos, which, you know, kind of messed things up in infinity war. And there's kind right. of a, a subtle nod to that of like, Chris, why do I keep saying it's the actor's name? Star Lord says like, uh, you know, I almost screwed everything up, you know? So like the, he, there's subtle references and then like he moves on. It's like, I'm going to make this my own movie. And, uh, it's my last one. I don't really care. I'm doing what I want. You know, you kind of got that vibe and it worked out because it was a very James Gunn movie. Uh, we got the first F-bomb in an MCU movie, which I wasn't expecting. Uh, I wasn't expecting it from that person in that moment in this, well, maybe in this movie, maybe a James Gunn movie would be the yeah, time. Yeah, James Gunn movie, it kind of makes sense. But yeah, I get what you're saying. And uh, yeah, it's it's a pretty intense film. This this isn't a light film. It, it It's intense and violent emotionally and physically. and. Uh, yeah, so it's 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 a James yeah, Gunn movie through and through. I think this is the most adult um, MCU movie maybe that we've ever had, genuinely. Uh, and yeah. he's always kind of pushed the boundaries a little bit. Um, James Gunn is a is a provocative filmmaker who makes um, exploitation movies, um, and is has always kind of you can even look at his previous efforts before this a movie called Super that stars Rain Wilson which is like a superhero parody, um, a, a horror movie called Slither even movies where you can see his writing style in the Scooby Doo films where this is a PG thirteen movie or a PG movie for kids but James Gunn is pushing the absolute limits of what he is allowed to do he's he's he kind of is a fan of gross out humor but he's also just a fan of kind of crass sense of humor often yeah. um but it, i think it works in this movie because um even though he didn't wasn't in charge of character decisions in infinity war and Endgame, he wrote all the dialogue for the guardians in those movies and these are just these are his characters um and i think it's interesting when you look at the mcu this has been said by many people i'm not the first to say this but the original guardians of the galaxy movie is kind of their big swing because if you look back at the releases up until that point, before the Guardians of the Galaxy movie, all you have are Avengers, Iron Man, Captain America, and Thor films. That's it. Guardians of the Galaxy is the first departure from that. And so this is kind of them seeing what what uh, the the people at Marvel Studios are seeing. What can we do with this? What, mm -hmm. How far can we push this? How weird can we get? And audiences will still enjoy it. And so they hand the reins to this kind of independent, weird, underground filmmaker who's shown some comedic talent and clearly loves comic books. And they say, here, make this Guardians movie. It's not even going to be really connected to the MCU, like into our main story, because if it sucks, we'll just be able to cut it off. And he yeah. did that and he made these characters a piece. So they kept giving him ownership of you can control all the aspects of these films, which is why this one works, because it, like you've said, and like my problem with Let's take the end of Wakanda forever, for instance. This movie feels like James Gunn planned it out end to end and executed it. And the he storyboards everything. So he storyboarded the fight scenes and he storyboarded all of this other stuff that doesn't happen in movies like Wakanda forever because I don't know that Kugler wanted to end a fight on a ship out in the middle of the ocean, right? And by doing that, he kind of doesn't really get the ending that he wants. I think no matter what you how you feel about these movies they are james gunn movies more than they are mcu mm -hmm. movies yeah david i want to do a little experiment here uh obviously we look at endgame as the cutoff which is four years ago this month that that film came out in 2019 wow. so i'm gonna ask you about the releases just the film releases since then and i i want you just a quick to tell me how you feel about the movie with three options you either can say like it don't like it or meh. That's it. I don't I don't need any other expansion. So I'm just gonna okay. go through them one by one in order of release. Spider-Man Far From Home. Loved it. Shane. Uh sorry, Black Widow. Liked it. Like it. Okay. Shang Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Liked it. Eternals. Did not like it. Spider-Man No Way Home. 
Loved it. Sorry. I I heard No Way Home the first one. I, I liked Far From Home. Loved No Way Home. Okay. Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Liked it. Thor Love and Thunder. Meh. Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. Liked it. Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantum Mania. I did not like it. Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume 3. Loved it. So, I mean, when we go back through, there were only two movies you said you didn't like. And that was The Eternals and Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantum Mania. Which I would agree with you. I would add Love and Thunder to that list personally as well. Um, but I, I think that maybe our narrative is that we're just expecting these movies to be ridiculously good and our expectations are maybe too high that we mm. can't just, nah, we can't just like something. You know, we can't just yeah. think something was fine because sometimes movies are fine and that's okay. But mm-hmm. it feels like, I guess, with the MCU that we we have this expectation that it has to be great. And that if it's not, then it's kind of not the MCU that we remember. Hmm. Yeah, I would agree with that. All right. So transitioning, let's talk about the Guardians films as a whole. Um, first, second, and third movies, the trilogy is complete. It seems like... Um, I don't think it's a spoiler to say, because they've said this in the media, most of the people are not returning to the MCU. A majority mm-hmm. of the actors in this film have no plans to appear in another MCU project, which a lot of people have shown concern about. But this is not uncommon. I mean, actors don't want to play the same parts forever. This has never yeah. been a thing. The MCU has kind of changed the way that people have done it, where Robert Downey Jr. played iron man in 12 movies across 11 years that's not normal and that's that's not something that's going to be able to happen every time so these these actors sticking around for almost 10 years in the five movies is is pretty impressive in and of itself um i i know that we both we've already talked about this on the last pod we both feel very very strongly about the first one. Um, it's my favorite MCU movie of all time. I believe it's in the top three for you as well. Yep. Yep. Um, the second one, this is maybe a question just like the MCU one I posed. Are we harder on that movie because the first one is so great to us? I would imagine so. Cause I mean, yeah, you just mentioned it. Your first it's first on your list. It's third on my list. Like it's one of the better, uh, you know, Marvel movies that have been made. So there's a high standard set there. Um, and honestly, with the second one, like, I don't think it's bad by any means. I think the visuals are still good. I think the music is phenomenal, like the first. I think performances are good. Um, I just think, which is a big part of a movie, the plot just is kind of wonky, you know. Um, but again, if you're if you're looking for a James Gunn Guardians of the Galaxy movie, like, you're, st- I think you're still going to be happy watching the second one because it's funny, it's action-packed it's colorful there's good good performances drax is hilarious chris pratt is always Mm -hmm. sarcastic like you know there's like good parts of it um so Mm -hmm. uh but to answer your question yeah i think a standard was set with the first one and if it you know it it didn't necessarily even meet that so again we're like oh that's that's terrible when in reality it's really not that bad you know right it's not iron man 2 where you're going from the first one and you're going, this movie's fantastic. And the second one, you're thinking, what what even happened? What did they do? Yeah. Yeah. You know. So I, I think I think that I would agree with you. Um, the plot part, I I mean, the first two movies are about well, actually all three movies are about bad dads, quite frankly. <laughs> the first yeah. movie is a is a Peter Quill movie in that it's him dealing with the loss of his mother. But it's also about Gamora defying her abusive, homicidal, genocidal maniac of a father in Thanos. The second one is directly just about Quill and his father. And then this one is about Rocket and, and his creator, um, his, his father in many ways. Uh, and I think that that is so important. We talk about threads and things that are carried through. I like the fact that he carried that theme 
through all of the movies. James Gunn is a very found family kind of filmmaker. He loves he he loves to take broken people who have terrible actual relationships with their their blood relatives and and give them this kind of family. Yeah, I mean, you can see that with even he brings Nebula into the fold and Mantis, mm-hmm. you know, and and Craglin adds all these characters in. Uh, David, how do you feel about the way that these three films fit narratively together? Um, I like it. I think it fits very well in that, like this group of people, this like group of superheroes, are like just a wonky, chaotic like family, you know. And like Chris Pratt and Gamora have issues in the first one, and like everyone's like, "Yeah, let's do it," you know. In the second one, Chris Pratt's like, "I'm gonna find my dad." Everyone's like, "Yeah, let's do it." And the third one, it's the same with Raccoon. It was like, yeah, let's go. You know what I mean? So it's like a like a fun, dysfunctional family um, with a talking tree. And uh, <laughs> no, I, I think they fit really well together. And um, yeah, you, what you said, the fa- you know found family, it's a very James Gunn movie in that. Um, so mm-hmm. no, I, I, I like the kind of overarching theme and all of them combined, yeah. Do you... Do you have a favorite uh, a Guardian? Because I, I think people, it's the normal question to ask everybody's favorite Avenger. But I don't know if I've ever really sat down and thought about which one of the Guardians is my favorite. Do you have one, like off the top of your head? I have a couple. I feel, like the, I feel like the three that come to mind is like Rocket, Star-Lord, and Drax. Yeah. All right, but I, I don't know, just because I haven't even thought about this, Like I, I don't know exactly who my favorite would be. Are you outside of that? Or is it one of those three as well? No, I, I just, I think that almost kind of shows the power of the storytelling and the way that he trades off characters and who's moving the plot forward is that there's not an obvious one. There's not a clear mm-hmm. one. There's like most people have a clear favorite Avenger that they like for certain reasons. And I would imagine most people, I think Drax would probably be the popular answer just because he's the one that gets the most humor. Right. Yeah. He gets the funniest lines most of the time. But I found myself like, quite frankly, in the first movie, I could take or leave Nebula. I didn't care about her at all as she was kind of a pseudo second tier villain. And the second movie, I thought the Nebula Gamora thing was interesting, but a little. Bleh. And in this movie, I think Nebula was my favorite character in the movie. Mm. And so I think he just does such a good job of making you care about every single one. There's not a member yeah. of the Guardians even the late editions like Mantis is a character that, you know, didn't get introduced until the second film, but is one that we see a lot of growth in the whole time. Like all of these characters are growing without individual movies because mm-hmm. in the Avengers franchise, the majority of the growth doesn't actually come from the team up films. It comes from their individual arcs that connect to the team up films, which is why people mm-hmm. were so upset myself included when we didn't get a black widow movie for so long because she yeah. kind of felt left out. But these movies are able to handle the storylines of six, seven, eight characters at once without overloading you with exposition, but making mm-hmm. you feel like you're going to care about what's happening. Well, and like in a movie like this, we had one, I guess, tech new character, but he was already been introduced, but everyone else was like, we, we knew about and we understood. And, and there wasn't this like, first 30 minutes of trying to learn a character or or like we didn't have an Eternals example of like we no one has ever talked to each other before that we're watching and now they're all like a team and we're trying to learn six different superheroes in the span of a two-hour movie like there was none of that it was all like yep I know this I know this actor I know this actress I know this um it just felt like less work you know you could feel like you could show up and enjoy it and we did mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. uh I I want to ask you um Actually, we'll save that for the spoiler conversation. So let's just do quick 30-second spoiler-free review of what you thought of the movie and then just give it a ranking out of five stars like we normally do. Okay. Oh, it's... My my expectations were high, and I felt like they were met. They were met. Um, and I feel satisfied at, at, with James Gunn's final movie in the MCU. I f- hope he is as well. And I feel like it was a good, you know, tying of the bow to this trilogy and to what James Gunn has done with this trilogy. Um, and it felt like the other two movies, it felt consistent. And um, like I just mentioned, it was satisfying. It didn't feel like work to watch this. And uh, I had a very, very good time. 
a lot of different emotions, good, bad, middle emotions all the way through. Um, I feel like I was crying at one point and then laughing while tears were still like leaving my mm-hmm. eye sockets, you know? Um, mm-hmm. But yeah. And uh, right now I, I have a four and a half out of five is my, is my rating. Just yeah. initial gut reaction. It's been, you know, less than 24 hours since seeing it though. Mm-hmm. For me, this is easily one of the best um, superhero films released in the last 10 years. Um, it It is emotionally resonant. Um, it gets you to care about the characters, to care about the journey. There isn't a lot of superhero garbage nonsense. There is a big explosion at the end because all of these movies have to end with a big explosion at the end, but it's fine. There's some really cool action set pieces, and this is just a Guardians movie. It's exact. If you enjoy the first two in any way, shape, or form, you will like this film. It's a little darker than the previous installments, but it has the same sense of humor. It has the same characters that you love. It hits the same beats. It has a great soundtrack. It it, it hits all the elements for me, and I have the exact same rating: a four and a half um, out of five. So I would say. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. I'll say I would say do some research before you take your child to this movie and decide whether you want your kid to see this because it's pretty intense. It's yeah. This is a actual like hard PG thirteen. Like yeah. I, I say that to say like I could see a couple of scenes get pushed a little bit further, and this is an R-rated movie. Mm-hmm. Um and some of the stuff is just very disturbing. There's a lot of stuff with the animals in this film. Um, and that, that can be really upsetting for many people and disturbing for others. So just, just a warning, but I think it is more than worth your time. If you are a fan of the MCU superhero films, movies in general, and have seen the first two, if you've seen Mm -hmm. the first two movies, I think you owe it to yourself. Um, so yeah. Yeah. All right. We're now getting into spoiler territory. So if you do not want to have this film spoiled for you, please dip out of the podcast now and return at a later date come on all right david we've already covered the was this a satisfying into the trilogy so i don't think i need to ask that question again but what to you were the best parts of this movie it can be scenes it can even be elements Uh, what did you enjoy the most i think the thing that sticks out to me the most is that probably kind of starts the last like 45 to an hour minute mark kind of act three of that hallway fight scene um which was like four four or five minutes long um just and it's a one jump just jumping from character to character slow-mo fast pace um almost like handing like each other off to another like it it was i'm just really impressed by that um just before that i was kind of like I'm wait, kind of waiting for that scene, this like the action set piece. It's James Gunn. Surely we'll get it. Um, and I like that he didn't just oversaturate the film with just action and action. You know, like he, he set you up and he made me think like, all right, I, I can't wait for this scene. And then he gave it to us. Like he, some directors try to be special or try to change you up. And he's like, no, they're waiting for this scene. And here it is. And he did it well. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. uh, that stuck out to me. Really, really enjoyed that. Set your movie fights in hallways. It works every time. Literally yep. every time there's a fight scene in a hallway, it's great. This one cuts between, what, five, six characters um, fighting at one time. And it's it's one shot. It's really impressive. The visual effects work great. I think for me, that's maybe the biggest element. Um, mm-hmm. This is a movie that needs great visual effects. Because if not, yeah. it falls instantly, instantly flat. And so I I think you can tell that this is a movie they've been planning for a while. Um, I mean, it was slated to be the first movie that came out after Endgame, actually, originally before James Gunn was fired for some old tweets. And then the the cast kind of petitioned and said they weren't going to be involved in a film unless he got back. So he came back, they rehired him, he made this movie. Um, And so, yeah, you can tell this was carefully planned and the, the CGI mm-hmm. looks better in this than I think any movie has since Endgame, including No Way Home. I, I genuinely believe mm-hmm. that. Um, for me, I, and something I haven't seen a lot of people talking about, uh, the villain of this film, uh, portrayed by the actor whose name I'm going to mispronounce and I apologize, Chiwudi Iwuji, I believe is how you say it, um, plays the high evolutionary. Just a total dirtbag. Like, from the instant you meet him, you know he's the worst. 
And yes, sometimes it's fun to have a villain who's actually, you know, you can save them. But sometimes you just need a villain that's unsavable. You just need mm-hmm. an evil bastard. And I think he's the best villain of the Guardians movies. I think he's better than Ronan the Accuser and Ego. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, he's just a jerk. And he's so evil. And his monologues were great. And, yeah. you know, his... At what what he was actually trying to accomplish made sense in his own warped brain. He wanted to be a god. That's what he wanted to be. He said mm-hmm. he even says this in the movie. There was no god, so I stepped in. And he is just a bastard. And it's great. It's great to have that villain from like the moment you get on. They get on screen. You can't wait for their downfall, and you're rooting yeah. for it the whole time. Not just because he hurt Rocket, but because he's an awful person. And I think that's maybe the strongest part because that's something that the other movies were missing a little bit to me. They were missing a little bit of that like really strong villain. I love the first Guardians of the Galaxy movie. Ronan the Accuser is the weak part of that movie because he's mm-hmm. he's just it doesn't really make sense. You don't understand why he's so upset. Um, you, you just know that he's trying to burn Xandar to the ground and and mm-hmm. get an Infinity Stone. But this movie, I think, really really works at getting the villain to be hateable. Yeah, I um I was very very impressed with his performance, especially this final scene where he walks in where rockets with the other caged animals and he's like screaming and spitting like and he he gives his like final monologue before he gets just his face ripped off actually. Um this this for me was like along there with Jonathan Major's performance in Quantumania where it's just insane and just I thought it was so good. Um the actor was going for it. He was just, yeah. he knew what he had to do and he just did it. And he did it. Yep. And I um very, very impressed. I also, kind of switching notes, but Adam Warlock, I kind of like James, Gunn vers- James Gunn's version of Adam Warlock. Um, and I like, in connection with that, how, man, the movie just starts off with him coming in. Like, there's no, like, slow setup. It's like, like, we get a song with Rocket walking through kind of the, the town of nowhere, what the a floating planet spaceship, head and, of a uh, celestial, yeah, yeah, and then boom, movie starts. Uh, Adam Warlock's there. Um, I love that that the movie just immediately starts and we get into it. Um, and it definitely like it, it starts pretty intense. Like I wasn't even ready for it, and just like he just dismantles this Guardians. Um, Team yeah, you and, think uh, you think he whew. kills Rocket right away? Like he yeah. he he goes through all of them very easily. You know, there's not much of a fight that can be put up against him. And you think he, Rocket is dead? Like you you think he's killed Rocket? And uh, yeah, I like the way that they handled him and that the MCU and superhero movies in general have a problem where some characters are just so powerful that it doesn't make a lot of sense for them to be in the story because they would just kind of ruin it. For instance, Batman versus Superman, a movie in which they have to try and make Batman able to fight Superman, the most uh, powerful being ever to exist, ever, maybe. I don't know. I don't read comic books. But I know that he can beat up Batman if he wants to. And Adam Warlock is kind of the same way in Marvel Comics and and could possibly have that problem in the MCU. But the way that they handled it was they just... The high evolutionary took him out, uh, took him out of the oven a little too early. So he's an idiot. <laughs> so he's just like a dumb yeah. child who doesn't yeah. understand what's going on. And I thought that was a really smart way to handle it, um, mm. and, and to handle his turn eventually at the end. Um, so I, I thought that was great. Um, another performance. I mean, we've mentioned most of the cast. Dave Batista is good again. Bradley Cooper's voice work is great. Chris Pratt, obviously, and Gamora Nebula, but. Tom Clementif, who plays Mantis, I thought this was the best she's done in the MCU. She actually was really good in the holiday special, surprisingly. Um, but her sense of humor, like the timing that she has with Mantis is fantastic. Yeah. It's it's so good. And she balances Drax out really, really well. And I think the films needed that because quite honestly, the Drax stick could easily become what Deadpool has become to me, where it's funny the first time you see it and in the first movie, mm-hmm. but then it just gets real repetitive over and over. Yeah. You need somebody else to balance him out on the other side. And I think Mantis does that really, really well. Yeah, I think this was, of course, you know, we, we see her in Guardians 2, we're introduced to her, but um, she was one of the strong suits of this movie, among many of them. 
And uh, yeah, I like the relationship that her and Drax have built and uh, what we kind of saw play out in this movie. And I also just like how Drax, like you just kind of mentioned, like Drax has kind of been like called stupid and the idiot and it's been funny. And I like how they kind of gave him a little bit of an arc and like he kind of had an impact on the end of this movie. And, you know, and I was, it might've been Mantis, but said like, you're like, you sh- these kids need a dad. Nebula. Yeah, I mean, it's it's Nebula like, that it. oh, that's nice. You know, like finally he's not just like the idiot. Like he actually played an impact and he, you can see that in his eyes, like the transformation of like, I am here for a reason, you know? But, because that's the reason for his whole, the beginning of his whole journey. He was hunting down Ronan the Accuser because Ronan killed his family, killed his wife and daughter. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's what he wanted to kind of get back at. And again, these, this whole film trilogy has been about bad dads and Drax is a good dad. And that's the example. And that's what they want to do. And I thought that was so smart way that he handled like, you know, all the kids at the end and James Gunn. I was wondering, what the heck are we doing here? Are we just like more innocence to say? But no, it was it was to service Drax and, and help mm-hmm. show Drax's true purpose, which isn't fighting and, and killing and, you know, being a warrior. It's, it's being a caretaker. And I thought that that was really, it was really interesting and, and something that I didn't expect. I didn't expect to come to the end of being like, ha, huh. like, I'm glad I, and I think it's right for Dave Batista to say, yeah, I'm done. Like I'm not playing yeah. Drax again. That's it. That yeah. was the end of Drax. And I think that's right. Um, I want to talk to you about the the kind of plot device that this movie used to propel it throughout. So we have backstories from some of these characters and almost, we know almost nothing about others. And Rocket was one of those that we don't know anything about. We know that he's a cybernetically enhanced raccoon, although he doesn't like to be called a raccoon. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's about it. We, We don't know anything else. We don't know why he is the way that he is. How did you feel about the movie's use of, of flashbacks intercut with the current rescue efforts with Rocket to, in order to give us more backstory on his character, but also still propel the movie forward to its end point. I really liked it. I thought it was timed well, sequenced well. Um, I think every time it cut, I was like, no, like it cut at a good part where I was like, dang it. Why'd they cut the scene? And they go to the flashback and then they cut the flash. Like, Oh, I want to know a little more. And they go back to current events and it's like, Oh, don't go back to flashback. I want to see more. So like, it, I feel like it wasn't like, Oh, this is kind of slowly paced. And finally we get this scene or, Oh, we could have gone without that scene. Like each one felt important and, uh, pulled me in a little more. So I really, I liked that. And I liked that more than just like a narrator at the beginning of the movie, like a narration of where rocket mm-hmm. has been and where he is now. Like they weave mm-hmm. that into the the current story. And I think that really helped uh, with the telling of the movie. I think a lesser writer director would have done what you're talking about and just do a huge, like 30 minute flashback sequence at the beginning of the film to explain it all. And then the rest of the movie is, is the rescue effort and trying to get the information to, you know, save rockets life. And I'm glad that he didn't do that, that he didn't try to tell it in chunks also because it's a pretty harrowing story. Like, the first time you see baby rocket is just this cute little raccoon that gets plucked out, experimented on and he gets thrown with his friends. There's a little bit of like kind of joy in that moment and cute little rocket voice, just saying simple words and, and stuff and, and trying to figure everything out. And he's talking to these friends that, and, but you know, they're all dead, right? Like, you know, that from the instant that he's talking to these people, that that he's going to be the only one to make it out. Um, mm-hmm. But the movie still strings you along and tries to show you why. Why the high evolutionary is hunting down Rocket? Because Rocket is the only thing he's ever created that hasn't just been repeating information he's already given back to him. He's the only thing that's ever learned, which is yeah. like the perfect, an example of what he's trying to make. The perfect society would learn and grow. Everything else he's made has not grown. It just repeats. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think that that was such a smart way to, to, to handle his character. Um, yeah. And, and a character that has been just a, you know, has gone through this kind of, I'm a jerk, but I'm going to work with these other people. And I have a little bit of a softer side to completely opening him up at the end of the movie and being like, this is a person who just cares about the people around him. Yeah. I thought maybe, yeah. you know, the moment where I, I think I got most emotional was when, well, there were two moments. One when it when his friends do die in that in that sequence where he rips the high mm-hmm. evolutionary's face off when when they do die, that was really rough. But also when he gets saved and 
Quill is just hugging him. And the old Rocket would have been like, get off of me, let go of me, leave me alone, I'm fine. But he hugs him yeah. back and then Groot like wraps around them. Just yeah. like Groot wrapped around them in the first film. I thought that was great. Yeah. What good time here. What I want to hear your thoughts on the kind of animal heaven that we got into. Because I think if you're not careful, that can be really just out of place, really cringe, cheesy. Uh, did that click with you? Did you mind that? What are your thoughts on that? I, that was one of the parts I didn't I didn't love so much because that's a common just narrative device of how do you show a person's on the brink of death, but they're not actually going to die. You give them an important character from the past that says it's not your time yet. That feels like that's happened over and over and over again. Yeah. I understand that there's not really another way to do it. That's why it's so common. But I, I didn't love that part. Um, I, I think that was maybe even for me the weakest part of the film was was that moment where of course but i don't know I, i've never almost died so i don't know yeah. if that's like true and what what actually happened maybe that's what how people experience it i don't know but i i think that that that's kind of a cheap way to to showcase those emotions that's that's really really common in films yeah and i'm not even sure how you would do that but it just kind of was like but not yet you know and she like stops him from walking you know i was like I, I, at the time, I, I was like, I didn't like hate it, but I was also like, well, how else would you do that? And then, of course, the next scene started, and I, I was moving on. Right, you gotta keep, you gotta keep going. Um, so yeah, I was yeah, just curious I on that. I don't, I don't even know how I feel about that yet. So I don't know. I think that if Gunn probably doesn't even love that part, but you're so wrapped up in the film and wrapped up in in the mortality of Rocket and whether or not he's going to make it that you don't really care. Like you're maybe yeah. on rewatch, that'll be a part that ages poorly. But I think the first watch, like when it was happening, I was like, yeah, this is fine. I don't care as long as, yeah. as long as rocket's going to be okay. Uh, yeah. Which, which brings us to another, another good point. Are you shocked by the lack of deaths in this movie? There's, there's no main character deaths. All the guardians make it even the kind of tertiary characters on nowhere make it as well. Are, are you, are you shocked by that? I'm a little surprised. I don't think I hate it though. I feel, I guess it depends on how they would have died. Cause I feel like sometimes we get in this kind of not good habit of like, okay, this character is not coming back. So I have to kill them. So it's like almost like a cheap death or a, a you know, do death. Exactly. And I'm like, if that's why you need to kill them, then I'd rather you not like just do something else. So, but part of me is like, wow, this is like a huge just space fight, intergalactic war. How did someone not die? So I don't know. Mm -hmm. I, I, I'm back and forth. Um, I, right now, I think where I'm at is I don't mind it, especially with how it ended and the, um, you know, everybody, you know, the people, some people wrote it off. Like, okay, I'm done. Like, I'm going home or I'm going to go explore or I need to raise these kids. Like, everyone kind of has an answer. Um, so their character, like superhero part died almost in a way. I don't know. I, as mm -hmm. you can tell, I'm still kind of like processing of like, did I like that? Mm -hmm. Is that something that I loved? I don't know. Where where are you on that? I, I think I, the only one where I was like, all right, are we really doing this? Was Star-Lord at the end. I thought like, if you're gonna tease Peter Quill dying that much, you should you either don't do that or just kill him. Like, uh, but I, I get it. And I think I agree with you in that. Uh, and I heard someone with the ringer use this term. I don't like contract deaths, right? Like we know Zoe Saldana is not returning. We know Dave Bautista is not returning. I think Karen Gillan is also not returning. Um, I don't know about Rocket, uh, Bradley Cooper, but I would guess no. The only mm -hmm. one that we do know is returning is Star-Lord. And that's because it says it after the second in credit scene. Yeah. But I like the fact that James Gunn's not like, okay, well, these people aren't coming back, so we'll just kill them. I don't like when movies do mm -hmm. that. I, I don't like when they just kill off characters because the actors aren't coming back. And I think it was smart. And he actually tried to figure out an ending that made sense for every character. And I, I enjoyed that. Uh, I thought a couple of times like Drax is a goner or maybe even Rocket's a goner. But I, I'm not upset by it. I, it's again, yeah. it's a it's a science fiction fantasy superhero film. 
like I'm okay if all the main characters live. I love Lord of the Rings, and in Lord of the Rings, with the exception of Boromir, all of the main characters live. So yeah, I, I don't need you to kill. I don't need you to kill somebody for me to enjoy the film. Yeah, and it's almost like a. It's the third movie, the final movie. It's done. It there was really no bittersweet ending, which is fine. But it's sometimes it's nice to be like, like why why not have all the major you know characters survive? And it's a good you know tying the bow on a on a good gift like Peter. I, Cole, yeah, I, this is something I've always wondered. Like, I wonder if he's ever going to go back to Earth and like try to find his family. And they did that. Like, he got to hang mm-hmm. out with his grandpa and. Um, that I thought that was a kind of a cool resolution to that. Seeing that, I think I'd rather that than him die because it's like okay, I, that feels like a sigh of relief, almost like okay, good, you know. Yeah, and it's clear that Pratt is going to be in something coming up. Um, uh, right? They said Star Lord will return, but putting him on Earth just means it's kind of the thing about the Guardians and why they weren't involved was they were light years away from everybody, right? They weren't, yeah. they weren't even close to what was happening in the wider MCU. And the only reason they got involved was Thanos because that was a universe level threat. Well, Star-Lord yeah. can now be involved on in other threats that happen on earth. And he has somewhat of a relationship with, with some of the Avengers. I mean, he knows some of them, right? So that's possible. And it's going to be the cool, like, Oh, it's, it's going to be cool to see these characters interact. Like, you know, Sam and Star-Lord, that's going to be interesting there's that potential but yeah i agree with you i think that i think that the way that they handled it was was right um we're only 24 hours out less than 24 hours out for both of us from when we saw this film so the chances are that we're overrating this Uh, i think i'm i'm much more of an overrater than an underrater in terms of how much how good a movie is right after i've seen it as of right now among all the mcu movies which is at this point, I think 32, 32 MCU films. Yeah. Where does this stand? For me, it's sitting number eight. It's sitting in front of Shang-Chi and right behind Captain America Winter Soldier. Okay. That's where I've, that's kind of where it sat since I've put it. I've been thinking kind of throughout the day of like, okay, do I want to move this? Do I want to shuffle this around? But right now it's it's at it's at eight. Okay. I actually have it higher for me. It's at five right now. The only ones ahead of it are the original Guardians of the Galaxy, Infinity War, the original Avengers, and No Way Home. Uh, that's probably high. That will probably move down um, as I rewatch some of the other MC movies. Because quite frankly, I have had uh, some fatigue and have had no desire to rewatch any MCU films in the last couple yeah. of years, with the exception of like one or two. So... That that'll probably change as I haven't. I don't think I've seen. You know, I probably haven't seen Winter Soldier in in two or three years. I haven't seen Endgame all the way through in two or three years. I haven't seen Black Panther since twenty twenty probably. I have, you know, well, mm-hmm. actually, that's not true. I've seen Black Panther recently, but like Ragnarok and Doctor Strange and some of these other films. But I I think that this movie for me, I was the most emotionally invested in this film than since Endgame and and any other film outside of Infinity War and Endgame. This one felt like it had real stakes for me because I did expect some characters to die. And mm-hmm. I just really cared about these people. And so I was more emotionally invested in this than I was in pretty much every other MCU film. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I'm curious because we've in our group chat, we've talked a little bit about this because um, I think it's kind of a fun conversation is where does this stand? Really, there's only two other trilogies in the MCU that probably compete um with this so i want to see where you think obviously this captain america and then the spider-man trilogy we're going to technically include that even though it's sony marvel of these three where where does gardens of the galaxy sit is that one or is you know does one sit above the other what do you think i think it's one for me quite frankly unless unless iron man's up there uh, you know unless you think iron man's you know Mm, i i i have a feeling as I watch and enjoy more Shane Black movies, that I will be an Iron Man three apologist soon, and then I will rewatch that Ooh. movie and actually think it's good. I have a feeling about that, but I, I haven't seen it in a while, so I don't know. What I will say is that I think Guardians is one, and I think it's because it does the best job of telling a complete story throughout three films. And you know, mm-hmm. a trilogy isn't supposed to just be a collection of three movies that are good. It's supposed to be movies that tell an arc 
And again, this one doesn't have to service anything else. So I think it's a little bit of an easier task. I think the one that's next closest to me would be Spider-Man for the same reason. I, I think mm -hmm. that the way that Tom Holland's character develops throughout those three movies is really important when an ending kind of in opposite fashion, you know, than Guardians of the Galaxy th Volume 3, which is a happy ending, whereas No Way Home, it ends with Peter standing alone in an apartment and everybody he's ever loved is either dead or forgotten who he was. And really so I point. think that's, Jeez. that's the, the kind of dichotomy there of the two ways you can cap a trilogy. I think both are done very well. That's not to say that Captain America isn't great, but like there doesn't, there's no sense of finality with the Captain America trilogy because the third Captain America movie is essentially an Avengers movie because it has almost all the Avengers in it without Hulk and Thor. And mm. then he goes on to be in more movies. Like he goes on to have yeah. his really, his art completed in Endgame, and which would be the same way Iron Man would work. And Thor has an extra movie, so he doesn't count. And there's no Hulk movie. So I think that this is the best in terms of telling a story from beginning to end with characters, even though they appeared in other films, their arc is complete here. You don't have to see 10 other movies to understand how we got to this point. So. Mm -hmm. And it's just interesting. You know, I don't necessarily know like who makes the standard, but it's interesting. James Gunn is brought in and he produces and make directs and makes high quality a Guardians of the Galaxy trilogy and Ryan Coogler comes in and produces two good high quality. It's like, you know, I, I don't know what sets them apart from other directors that have been hired, you know, uh, to work Marvel movies, but it's just interesting how these two guys come in with their creative, more creative control than probably most directors and, and they do it a good job. So like, where, how do we get there? You know what I mean? Well, I think the kind of, um, one of the, the trends we've seen in Hollywood is if you make an, a good independent movie, a good smaller film, you are just handed, you know, an IP film. Whether that's MCU, whether that's a reboot of an old franchise, whether that is a continuing sequel and another current IP driven franchise, that's what happens. And so that's how a lot of people get jobs in Marvel. And I think that what they need to do, and this is just me personally, as a person who isn't a fan of comic books, who doesn't read them, who, who follows the characters and thinks it's interesting, is find people that are. Because the two examples that you listed, who are maybe the two uh, most impressive um, filmmakers in the MCU, are people that before they even started making them said they were fans of comic books. Ryan Coogler said he was a big fan of Black Panther comic books and Marvel comics as a whole and Red Superhero comics. And James Gunn clearly is that. And those are people that are going to handle things with care. And it's not just to them an action movie, right? It's about mm -hmm. the superheroes themselves. And I think that the Russo brothers also had an aspect of that as well as two people who kind of like this kind of storytelling in comic books. And I think that maybe that's just what they have to look for. I, it's a slippery slope when, because quite frankly, just with demographics, the majority of comic book fans are men. And I don't think that that means that the majority of MCU directors should be men. Mm. Um, but I do think that finding a person who genuinely cares about the source material it, is interesting um, and is something that's going to, to really make these films better because i think the best films come from people who genuinely care about what they're making which is yeah. why the hired gun part of marvel inherently kind of tends to generate bad results because even in films that are not what's non-ncu films the where the writer and director where it's one person who kind of pushes this through and it's the director's vision, and they start from the beginning to try to tell the story. They don't just get hired on to direct it, but they, they try mm. to tell it. And that those normally make for my favorite and probably your favorite films. And so I, I think that's just something the MCU has to look more at, at applying. And Feige has already come out and said that he wants to hire more people like James Gunn, not mm. you know white men in their 50s but people who care about the characters and who want to plan every aspect of the story and are interested in writing and directing and, and, mm -hmm. and handling every part. Because I think that's just going to make it better. Because quite frankly, someone like Chloe Zhao, who made an Oscar-winning film in Nomadland and then was brought on to direct The Eternals, I don't know. She said in interviews that she enjoyed the, the comic book series, but 
she's getting thrust into a movie and probably told that she has to set up some things for other films. Like there's, there's a reference to blade in her yep. movie and she's Isn't probably Harry Styles told in that too. You have to do this story. Yeah. And introduce Harry Styles and do all this. Never other see stuff. him again. Yeah. And so I don't know that she like cared to do that. Maybe she just cared to make a movie and she didn't end up getting to do that. So yeah, I, I think that that that's kind of, a tricky part is just because a filmmaker is good and there's a lot of good filmmakers out there that doesn't mean they're right to make an MCU movie yeah. um which i think is it's the idea so that different had right it's so different than just making another movie i mean and and as much as i think that scorsese was being reductive um whenever he said that that Marvel movies are theme park rides because I don't, I think that yes, it's entertainment. It's supposed to be fun. Also Martin Scorsese, you appeared in the film shark tale. So let's calm down about real cinema for a little bit there, <laughs> Marty. But I, I think that he's right in a way in that it takes a certain type of filmmaker to be able to make one of these movies successfully, because it's not a movie where the most interesting part is conversations. That's, that's just yeah. not how these films are structured. There are great conversations in the MCU and great lines, but that's not what people go there for. And so yeah. you have to get action filmmakers. You have to get filmmakers that care about that more than filmmakers that care about dialogue. Because these are just, in, in their nature, superhero films are just not dialogue-driven. Even ones with great dialogue. A movie like The Batman that I really enjoyed, you know, the dialogue and, mm -hmm. and other things in that film. It's a superhero movie and Matt Reeves knew how to direct action sequences, which is what you need in a superhero film. Yeah. All right. Last question. Last thing. Do you think this gets the MCU kind of back on track to its original roots? This is a movie that is getting stellar reviews. It's got over a 90% uh, from critics and fans on Rotten Tomatoes at the moment, I believe. It's going to make $120 million at the domestic box office its opening weekend and is on pace for, it's probably going to make five, 600, maybe 800 million. Well, definitely outgross, I think, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Mania, And it's kind of mm -hmm. a big hit back. Do you think that this signals, you know, Marvel is coming back or is this James Gunn's great at making superhero movies. That's why this is happening. This is an anomaly. I think I got to see one more. I got to see one more uh, good thing, and then I think I can get on that train. Uh, I know Secret Invasions is coming this year. I think at the end of June, and then Miss Marvel, uh, the Marvels are coming. Is coming end of November, November. I think. Yeah, November. Yeah. So if and per. They're probably the same podcast that you've referenced per the ringer. Apparently, uh, secret invasions is they're wanting it to be like their andor, I guess is kind of what mm -hmm. I've heard. So if mm -hmm. it is that, if it's like this and it's six, it's a mini series, six episodes. That's it. Also, I don't know if you've looked the cast list for secret invasions, but it's kind of stacked. Um, yeah. There's like, there's like three Oscar winning actors in that cast. Yeah. Uh, Samuel L. Jackson, Ben Mendelsohn, Amelia Clark, Olivia Coleman, Kobe Smol Smulders, who's been aside alongside Nick Fury, um, mm -hmm. Kingsley Ben Adir, Don Cheadle, Martin Freeman. So there's some good actors in there, and I think if this series is like really really good, I think I can get behind of like okay, they they publicly said they're wanting to slow things down and take their time, but now I believe them, seeing two pretty high quality things in a row. And so I think it's going to have to take Secret Invasions being, I don't know if I'm ex wanting it to be Andor level because Andor might be some of the best Star Wars we've seen, you know, since episode six. Um, but I, if it's pretty good, if it's good and I'm involved and I like it and it's not just horrible special effects and cheesy one-liners, I think I, I think I can get on board with that. I think um, I'm already going to go out and stake this this claim now. Uh, don't compare your your series to Andor. Yeah, that's... just don't do that. That's like whenever a new show drops and people are like, it's like kind of like Breaking Bad. And you're like, just don't do that. Just stop. Like, mm -hmm. it, just don't do that. It's a dra it's the draft comps whenever they're like shades of Peyton Manning. Like, no, pick somebody else. Like, I get that you maybe want it to be your Andor and that you're excited about it and that it's a limited series, but already you're putting yourself behind the eight ball in my eyes because I'm thinking Andor yeah. is great. Like, what, the first season of Andor is one of the five best seasons of television I've ever seen in my life. So 
don't do that and set yourself up for failure. Maybe aim a little bit yeah. lower. And I, I don't know I exactly agree. if that's their words. I just know this person said who knows a little bit of the no. They've scoop, they've so. had there's some there's some okay. unnamed people at Marvel that have that have made references to Andor. Okay, and okay. And so I yeah I I I get that. I think that you obviously want hype around your show. That nobody's ever going to say like we think this is going to be fine. We'll think it'll be good to decent. Mm-hmm. We think you'll have a good time watching it. They, they got to tell you it's the best thing ever, which is why every time you see a movie, there's like number one in the box office, the most loved movie by fans this past weekend. You're like, yeah, Mario, but it's because the, no other movie came out. So let's, let's all pipe down a little hey, bit over there. It wasn't bad. Citizen I, I, kind of, I kind of enjoyed it. Yeah. See what you just said? It wasn't bad. Not It was the greatest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> That's oh no, no 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 absolutely yeah right i i think i agree with you um and that i i would lean more towards this as an anomaly um and not necessarily an, an indication that this is what the mcu is going to be like going forward because one it we've already talked about it it's the separate nature of the guardians films and it's the james gunness of those films that that's one one person's vision and if you like that vision then you're going to enjoy the execution of those movies mm-hmm. to yeah. the mcu is in flux there is no secret they fired some top people recently at the studio they've also who knows what's going on with the jonathan major situation which was going to be their big bad for the next phase they've pushed marvels back because they're doing reshoots and and stuff so i don't I don't know. And a lot of their star, a lot of their big stars are leaving, you know, a lot of their, a lot of their kind of tentpole stars either left in the immediate aftermath of Endgame or are going to be leaving soon. There's obviously some exciting stuff on the horizon, but Fantastic Four is two, three, four years away. So is Blade. Mm -hmm. We don't even know when the X-Men are going to be coming in. And so I, I just, I am not, I'm not stoked. Um, for the future of the MCU, just because this was good, I think I am. Yeah. I'm with you in the wait and see. And I would lean. If you were asked me to do a percent split, I would lean seventy percent. This is an anomaly, and thirty percent mm. the MCU is back. So. Yeah, yeah, they are in a tough spot, um, a precarious situation. Um, I feel like they've never like have they staked so much of their just future on a character like they have with jonathan majors maybe robert downey jr maybe chris evans but like they they set this yeah, guy up I think, to be like i think both of those like, were natural evolutions i think this one yeah. was unnatural and that they planned it immediately they're like this is the guy and they announced a movie with him in the future and it's different you could say they did the same thing with brolin who portrayed thanos in a in the end credit scene of a movie in 2012 and then didn't appear until 2018 but that's a cgi yeah. character you can yeah. you can switch the face off of that guy. Um, so I don't know. I think it's going to be very, very difficult for them to move forward with majors um, just because of the baggage. And again, mm-hmm. we've already talked about it. They've shot Loki season two, which he's presumably the main villain in. And so I don't know what they're going to do. Uh, yeah. The the multiple variants thing does give them a chance to maybe switch the actor and explain it away. But I don't know if they can do that. Um, and and I don't... Yeah. I, I, it's not an enviable position that they're in right now. No. Say that. No, it's a tough spot to be in because, like, you know, you set this guy up and then that happens. So it's like, how? what do we do now? Plus, in a tough spot, don't you almost feel like, and maybe this is kind of what people are maybe complaining about with this new phase of, like, doesn't it feel like the Varsity team's, like, gone and we're watching, like, JV guys now? You know what I mean, and that maybe that maybe why they kept Chris Pratt because like he seems like one of the old guys because it's like okay Robert Downey Jr. is gone, Chris Evans is Chris gone, Evans is gone, uh, Scarlett Johansson is gone, uh, Elizabeth, Olsen, Elizabeth Olsen maybe is gone. Like so, it's like okay, I don't care about any of these characters. These are like little guys. Jeremy Renner is Hawkeye gone. So it's like it almost feels like we're watching JV. You think that kind of gets the sense of what's been the issue with well, this phase of like we're, we're not watching people that we care about. We've already breached it, but we are past the breaking point of this is what happens when you do the interconnected universe thing. Is at a certain point, people are going to say, well, why is this character that I care about not in it if everything takes place in the same story? 
and you either have to kill that character off or do something different um, and try to repurpose them. But repurposing them and, and redoing it, it isn't always going to work. In comic books, yeah. they just hard reset. And all right, we're restarting all the storylines because we've reached a point where we can't tell any more stories because there's a natural end point. You can't, the, yeah. the kind of beauty of the MCU at first was it can go on forever, but now it can't go on forever. I, I That's yeah. clear. You're going to have to reset. But when you reset in the comic books, it's just a face on the page. And maybe you're just drawing the person different. It's a little mm -hmm. bit different when you are attached to the actor that is portraying it. Will they ever be able to cast another Iron Man? I don't think within the next decade, like you can't have another Tony Stark appear in a movie, even if it's mm -hmm. in a different universe, because everybody's going to say Robert Downey Jr. is better. And it's different than there's a new Batman, because Batman's always in three movies and that's it. But yeah. like Robert Downey Jr. is Tony Stark. And so I don't think you can recast that. And the the same thing with a black widow like they have to set up another actress in my opinion i enjoy the actress because i like florence Pugh. we all know that so i'm fine with it but some people might not be that they're missing out on scarlett johansson and yeah. then i don't want to get into the same thing because i think there's also just the suckiest people on the planet who are like i don't like the fact that sam's captain america because he's not who captain america is supposed to be and the supposed to be means that he's not white um, and those people suck, but there's going to be people that are like, no, Steve Rogers is Captain America. That's a Chris Evans character. I don't like the rebrand. I don't like the fact that there's going to be a new younger Hawkeye. I don't like the fact that there's a new Ironheart. I don't like the fact that there's a new Hulk. And these are natural things in the comics, but we're seeing people push back on it with movies. So I just don't, I don't know if it can continue. And I wonder if, if this is just, this is what happens when when you just interconnect stories and maybe things should just be kept separate because Star Wars is going to yeah. get to this point too. It's not there yet. Yeah. But the thing with Star Wars is they just kill people. Um because you don't have to keep like there's not a version of Iron Man that always has to be alive in the story, right? They kill mm -hmm. main characters. And in Marvel, they're so attached to these heroes that you either have like B-list people that it doesn't make sense come up and and be the main people. Mm -hmm. Or you have to recast the character. So that, I, yeah. Yeah, I just don't know. They're in a tough spot. And, you know, maybe you can say they did this to themselves, but also, like, I don't envy them. They're, they have a lot on their hands. They got a, a lot to do. And so, I don't know. And, and they've had more success than any media company has ever had, arguably. Yeah. No and one's ever so, done this in the film industry. So, they, but films always have, always have genres that, become popular at a certain time period and then go away. Noir yep. films in the 40s, westerns in the 50s and 60s, the sci-fi explosion in the 70s and 80s. And yes, some will stay around. Some from those genres will stay around. Mm -hmm. But we see those genres fade and superheroes might just be another genre that fades. Yeah, there's always a shelf life. Doesn't matter how good it is. Godfather Absolutely. 3, you know what I mean? Like there's always, it's, it's always yeah. gonna... It's always going to end. So. It's always going to end. Which is tough whenever it's as long as your life, as long as you've been alive, it's been successful, you know, and that, so it's, it's going to be tough to say goodbye, but. Yeah. My question, actually, this is the last, last question. You don't have to spend a lot of time on this. Are you like, are you, are you sad? The MCU is kind of going downhill as much, or is it kind of one of those things that you just don't care about as much anymore because you are older and you've gotten into other films and you enjoy other, other pieces of media more? Because I think both of us would agree that superhero movies for since from 2008 to probably what, 2014, 2015 played an outsized importance in our just culture experience, right? They, they carried a lot more weight. We cared a lot more about them when they came out. And now, yeah, do you really care? Do you have as much attachment, you think, to the MCU as you did eight years ago? You know, a, a quote that comes to mind, honestly, is a final season of The Office from Andy quote of like, I wish someone would have could tell me that I'm in the good old days before I leave them, you know, so I could enjoy mm -hmm. them more. And I feel mm -hmm. like that's kind of where I'm at of like, it's just not, we're not going to get that first you know, that Thanos that phase, I'll call it the Thanos phase, because there are multiple phases. We're not going to get that ever again. Just the newness and the intensity and the impact. Um, 
no matter how good a movie is, it's just hard gonna t- t- hard to top that. And uh, I, you know, I wish someone would have told us that we were in the good old days with that. You know, before it was too late. So yeah, that's I where think, I'm at with that. I think no matter who you are, um, if you are any way connected to these movies, Endgame was like an unbelievable thing. That all of these things came together. Something I started watching when I was eight, and then I'm a freshman in college, and I'm seeing mm-hmm. it come to an end in a way that I felt was satisfying. Everything after that has kind of just been a la carte. It's been extra. Some of it's been good. Some of it's been bad. And so I just don't think there's the continuity. There's the care. Part of that is that I'm just older and I like different things now. And part of it is, quite frankly, too much content. There's too much stuff out there. And there's definitely too much Marvel stuff, which is why they're scaling these, these things back. They're scaling back the release of TV shows and movies because it's too much content. And you just care because when there's scarcity, you care more about something, you know, but, but when there's a lot of them, I'm sure I would feel the same way about any film franchise. If they right now announced three extra Lord of the Rings stuff, Lord of the Rings movies that are going to be happening. And then two more TV shows, I would care a lot until I had to start watching. And then I'd be like, all right, we're we're Mm. doing this too much. Marvel yeah. just reached that point and they they kind of just need to back off which they've indicated they're going to do. So, yeah. Yeah. Guardians of the Galaxy 3 is out everywhere. I would be surprised if it's not available in your theater. If it was available in Maryville, it is available near you. Um <laughs> but yeah. We loved it. We highly recommend it. At least the satisfaction of finishing the movie series. You need to go watch it. And uh yeah, this has been what do you want to watch? talking about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. We'll see y'all later.